Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Welcome back to another episode of the ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network. Today's guest, an international basketball superstar, if I can call him that. I don't know with with his uh, humble attitude he would call himself that, but he definitely falls in that category. A tremendous college player, an international uh, successful player, now a coach uh, who's been at the Division I level for a number of years, associate head coach at UC Santa Barbara, fellow Gonzaga alum, John Rilly. John, life can't be too bad in Santa Barbara where you have access to a beach and it's one of the most beautiful cities in the country. How are you and your family doing? Uh, myself and my family are doing good. And as any good coach, you're always asking your players to improve in the summer. And I can certainly say my surfboarding game is getting better in the summer right now. <laughs> well, you're, you're originally from Australia. So I, I can only imagine that you're pretty good with outdoor activities I would imagine you grew up surfing a little bit before basketball really kind of took hold of your passions. Yeah, look, growing up in Australia, very lucky to live close to the ocean. Uh, so many family holidays were spent at the beach, uh, surfing and fishing and enjoying the outdoors. So uh, Santa Barbara caters to a lot of those childhood memories for sure. Yeah, it's one of the uh, one of the places I would love to get to uh, during the course of my basketball travels would be to get to Australia and, and see uh, not only that country, but see the basketball uh, and how they teach it. Um, the, the, the way the game is taught is differently throughout the world. The U.S. Uh, tends to teach it one way, although it's been changing over the last few years. European style is one thing. How would you describe the Australian youth basketball scene when you were growing up as well as now? Yeah, so like uh, as, as far as a country, our basketball has really transformed. Uh, myself as a kid uh, growing up in the sport, uh, a lot of kids were just like first-generation players. Uh, I was fortunate enough my dad played, so I'd been around the game. But when you're a, when you're a first-generation player and, and having uh, like the Australian uh, fighting spirit, I guess that's what we're known for on the world stage is – you just would go out, you'd play hard, you'd play tough, and uh, you know, hopefully you could catch someone sleeping and that would get you enough uh, for the win. Uh, as, as we've progressed, uh, we have you know, anywhere from seven to 10 guys in the NBA these days, uh, a number of guys in Europe. So when the national team comes together, I, I would say we have like a hybrid uh, you, you can see some of the NBA style, and that's influenced, obviously, by the players. But Brett Brown, the Philadelphia 76ers head coach, he was also involved with the national team at, at different stages and is the current national team head coach. And uh, you look at the European guys, uh, when they come back to the national team, uh, you know, you, you can see influence of Lithuania, Spain, Serbia. So we're kind of like a melting pot for styles because the U.S. still has a good influence. Um, but then uh, once you get on the international stage, as the U.S. has shown, you, you have to uh, change your game to more of a, what would be considered a European or international style of play. So uh, 
uh, it's a culmination. And I guess that's when you're a young country at the sport, you can kind of develop into the way that you would like it to be. Well, you guys have definitely developed. You've, you've given some of the, the traditional powers, U.S., uh, Spain's a good run for their money over the last few years. You were part of the 2004 group that got to play in the Olympics. I believe it was in Sydney, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, what was that experience like? Uh, look, well, when you get asked what are the highlights of your career, it's easy to say the NCAA tournament, uh, you know, the Olympic Games, winning championships. But uh, it, it's pretty tough to beat uh, on opening ceremony night at the Olympics when you walk out into a stadium when you know with you're with the elite of the elite, just not within your sport, but in the world of athletics. And uh, I'll, I'll always remember that just walking into the stadium and you go, wow, this, this is an international, this is a world stage. And, uh, you know, uh, just an unbelievable feeling. And then, you know, look, basketball's played through the whole two weeks of the, the Olympics. Um, so every other day you, you, you're competing against the best of the best, NBA, Europe, African countries, uh, the South American countries, uh, you know. So just, just a phenomenal experience, but nothing will be just walking into the stadium on opening ceremony night. That's awesome to hear. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, myself asking that question brings back a lot of memories, but it also brings back probably a, a great amount of pride um, for, for you and the, the accomplishments that you had in your career. When you look at some of these guys who came from Australia and now are having a, a lot of success in the NBA, guys like Aaron Baines, Patty Mills, Matthew Dellavedova, uh, do you have or have had you or have you had much contact with them kind of in their early stages of their career? And, and do you have pride that the, they're finding success in the NBA? Uh, pro probably the guy that I have the, the most contact with is Bogut because he was on that uh, 2004 Olympic team uh, when he was going into his sophomore year at Utah. So um, he, he's the one, but all those other guys, me transitioning into college coaching and me transitioning out of my career, uh, it was kind of just a, a space of uh, where we just didn't intersect. But uh, in the meantime, Delavadova spent uh, some time in Santa Barbara over the summertime here working out. So I've got to know him, uh, you know, on a, on, a, on a nice personal level. But Bogut, um, and, and look, it's easy to look at the success these guys are having now. Um, but probably a, there was just a couple guys before that that paved the way. Andrew Gaze, who went to Seton Hall to a Final Four there, uh, you know, he virtually had a cup of coffee in the NBA, but played on the championship Spurs uh, in the lockout year 99, I want to say that was. Um, even Gonzaga alum Paul Rogers, like, uh, you know, he was drafted and uh, was with the Raptors in the lockout year. Shane Hill, uh, like a... a four-time Olympian uh, who went um, played for Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, so those guys gave all these guys that we're talking about, all who the U.S. people know, like they, they gave all these guys hope and something to strive for where those guys laid the platform because they had no one to look up to. Oh, sorry, how could I forget Luke Longley, you know, three-time champion with the Bulls. So those were the guys that allowed these guys to live in, uh, live and hope and dream that this could be possible. 
you mentioned Paul Rogers uh, from Gonzaga. Obviously, you're a GU alum, as am I. Uh, and that's a name that doesn't get brought up much, uh, unfortunately. He was a really good player. He had some, some foot injury issues, if I remember correctly. Uh, but he, as well as you, were some of the first international players to play at Gonzaga. And now everybody knows Gonzaga is a hotbed for international players. Um, what was it about Gonzaga that made you decide to go there? And what is it about Spokane and Gonzaga that makes international players like yourself feel comfortable? Yeah, look, well, it, it was easy decision for me because it was the only Division One school that uh, was prepared to fork out and a scholarship. So I was at Tacoma Community College for a year, and I, I had no idea how the recruiting scene operated. Um, but, you know, I ended up at Gonzaga. It was a great experience. Paul Rogers, um, the dominoes just kind of fell into place. Uh, Dan Munson's father went down and coached in, in Australia, where Paul is from in Adelaide. Uh, he made his way over to North Idaho College for a year. Um, and then, you know, he was lucky enough to come and watch some of our games while I was playing my junior year. We built up a good rapport. Um, so he came to Gonzaga. Um, then we had Axel Dench and then kind of all the, uh, the European internationals uh, with Tommy Lloyd started to happen. I think, I think the thing with international kids with that school, uh, you come from a background where, you know, basketball is prevalent in your country or that's what you grow up. You go to Gonzaga and basketball is the main sport on campus. Um, so I think they see uh, the fanfare and all the attention the sport gets. So that's very attractive. Obviously, the coaching staffs, you can tell it like they're, they're just invested in it uh, more than just basketball, but away from the floor. Um, you, you know, everyone throws out the family feeling. But, you, you know, look, you just think about how many guys you stay in connection with that you've played with. But then either side of your time at Gonzaga as a player, uh, we all just kind of start to gravitate to each other and, uh, you know, appreciate what each other has done for the program. Most people that follow college basketball know that Gonzaga's run of 20-plus trips to the NCAA tournament started with the Elite Eight run in 1999. Uh, but not all of them know that the first NCAA <laughs> tournament team was 1995. It was your group. And they would not have made that tournament had you not had one of the most historical runs in WCC tournament history. Walk us through that three-game stretch, because if I'm not mistaken, uh, former coach Dan Fitzgerald, who unfortunately has now passed away, at one time I remember having heard him say or read it, read it somewhere, said it was the greatest offensive performance back-to-back uh, -back that he's ever seen. Well, how could I argue with that? But uh, you, look, we, we'll, we'll really, my senior year, we'll kind of like the Sandlot kids. Um, my junior year, we raced, we blitzed uh, and won the league title, but kind of wet the bed in the, the WCC tournament. So that was really probably what everyone thought would have been our best chance to go. But then in 95, uh, conference season starts. We got off to a bad start, 0-6. I wasn't playing very well. I'm sure the coaching staff was already looking forward to the, the following year. Um, but we finished off conference play 7-1, and and we were the best team playing at that time in the conference um but then yeah the tournament come around and when you're a senior it's easy to go look there's no tomorrow so uh you know i couldn't get yelled at for 
taking bad shots from 40 feet and all that kind of stuff. But the the beautiful thing is, is they went in and yeah, uh, 96 points in the three games, uh, you know, shot an unbelievable percentage from the three point line. You know, it all, it all just come together at the right time, like lightning in a bottle, as they all like to say. And um, yeah, like, like, you know, to be around someone like Fitz and then Munson, uh, Fuey uh, and Bill Greer, just the excitement those guys have to see all the hard work that they've put in over the years to finally, you know, a team that really had no expectation of that level to to work out for them. You know, it was, oh look, great memory and just thinking about it, like, man, unbelievable to go back to the hotel and switch on ESPN and and see the Zags, you know, going for the first time. Yeah, that was uh, something that. Uh, is still talked about a lot uh, from some of the people that are still around the program that were there then. Uh, the fact that you guys just stuck with it and hung with it and took coaching throughout the year and then you got hot at the right time. After your career at Gonzaga, you had nearly about a 15-year professional playing career in Australia. You, know, you were one of the best players over there for, for a long stretch. At what point did you know, I want to stay involved in this game and I want to get into coaching? Oh, from a, from a young age, um, when, when I say young age, like, you know, late teenage, early twenties, um, when you know that, like, when, when you're figuring things out in life and you know what is going to make you happy, uh, I just knew that I was going to be involved in sport. I would have never said that a player as long as I did, um, but I was just like, I'm going to be a guy no matter what happens and where your path takes you. I'll always be involved in a sport. Um, I really enjoy coaching. So that just seemed like a natural step after playing. Uh, and I, I love being around kids and trying to mentor them and help them because every kid thinks they're a pro. It, it's not that easy. Um, but hopefully I can give them some uh, good advice and good instruction as they go through their college career to prepare them a little better for that. And then if they don't quite get to that level, hopefully some life lessons along the way. As, a, as an assistant coach who goes out and evaluates um, players throughout the high school season as well as during the, in the AAU season, which unfortunately is put on hold due to, to the pandemic currently across the United States, you have to look through the lens of your head coach when you're evaluating guys and say, this guy I think fits what our culture of our program and the skills of our program need. Um, how do you take your values in looking at a player and throw them into the eyes of what your head coach sees or wants? Oh man, that, that's a, that's an, a great question. And uh, when I got into the college coaching uh side of it I, I was a rookie I was very wet behind the ears and you don't look at it like that you just look at who do I like and what what attracts me to a player and all of that um, but the sooner an assistant coach can figure out what can be done to meet the head coach's needs and your own needs that, that's when you'll find a successful player for your program because uh, at the end of the day the head coach is going to play who he wants and feels like is going to help your team win uh, so you better understand what makes it work for that coach. Um, but then uh, I think you always have to use your own evaluation and, and feel for the situation. 
um, especially at the level that I deal with, the mid-major level, um, you, you got to find kids that you know that their best basketball is probably going to be ahead of them. And how can you get that out of them? So, look, it, it's easy to see a good player out on the floor. you got to figure out, are they going to be tough enough? Are they going to persevere through a bad day? Because we all have bad days. So how do you come out on the other side after having a bad day? Um, you know, so, you know, look, as much as it is about playing basketball, it's it, what, what makes that guy tick and where, where does he really want to go to? And does he have a good idea of how to get there? And you've had a chance now with uh, your time as a, as a college coach to work under two really good head coaches, Leon Rice at Boise State, who's a friend of mine, uh, as well as now Joe Pasternak. So you're, you've learned from two really good coaches. I can only imagine in knowing you that you do have aspirations as a head coach, but they also have to come in kind of a due timing for, for a coach and their learning curve and opportunities. What would it mean to John really to, to become a head coach? And if the opportunity comes, what would some of the things you be looking for? Yeah. Uh, very fortunate that I've worked for two head coaches that have been successful, but then also operate a little differently. So as an aspiring head coach, I've been fortunate enough to look at different ways you can, you can run a program. Um, so as you mold your own philosophies to become a head coach, I think that's a great thing to be able to kind of look back and go, well, this worked really good. This didn't work good. This is the type of kid that works best in this system and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, so as I hopefully get closer to my end goal, uh, things that I think, obviously, I, I would, I personally would prefer to win a game 90 to 75 versus 55 to 52. Now, uh, when you play enough games, you're going to play in some ugly games. But uh, I, I would want our guys to have uh, offensive freedom. But when when you say offensive freedom, you got to have IQ. You got to have you know skilled players. Um, but in saying that, I would probably use a little bit of a European model where, um, you know, you, you just can't have all the same type of player on your roster. So you do, um, you know, as much as you would like to play with a skilled five man, you, you got to have a rim protector and some athleticism and all of that type of stuff. So uh, put, putting together a roster that allows you to play the way you want, but then also give you the flexibility when you are in a type of game you don't want to be involved in, you do have the arsenal to, to change the game with your personnel. So I, I really like the idea of forming a roster uh, that has flexibility, but is obviously going to be what you want to put out on the floor. Let's go back to your playing career. You played at Gonzaga in the NCAA tournament. You played professionally in Australia for a number of years. You played in the Olympics. Who was the toughest matchup that you ever had to, to go up against and why? Oh, what, the, the simple answer, the simple answer is Stockton, John Stockton, just because uh, one of the beauties at that time at Gonzaga, he would spend three months in Spokane getting ready for his NBA season. So you'd get to play endless pickup games. So just to see how diligent and surgeon-like he approached his profession um, and then just his, his winning mentality. I'm sure you've been involved in some heated discussions with him about game point situations. Um, yes. You know, so that when you're around a guy like that, 
Um, in, in the moment, you get caught up in the battle of the score in the game, but when you go back to your dorm or whatever and you really think about what you just got to be involved in, it really helps you understand a lot about professionalism. I'll, I'll tell you a story. Like, I, I remember um, my junior year, we were in the old kennel playing pickup, and some, some of the hoops uh, on the side were, were raised up, but the bleachers were still down. So, uh, you know, I was... I was doing a bit of show pony stuff in between games and I ended up sitting on one of the rims and he come up and goes like, what are you doing? Like, wh why would you be sitting on the rim? And I was like, man, like, what's the problem? You're out there playing. I'm just up here, you know, goofing around. But I went back. I remember I went back and I was like, man, like, yeah, if you want to be thought of as a leader and a great player and all of this, you, you can't be acting like that, you know. So that, um, but wow, like Nash, I, I got to play against Nash for three years in college um, on the international scene. Body Roga, Dijon Body Roga, Serbian, like European legend, Kirilenko. Um, yeah, like I, I've been lucky to uh, play against a lot of great ones. But when I really look back, uh, just being around Stockton in those short months uh, really kind of showed you how you had to conduct yourself and look after yourself, like, you know, your diet or just the, the hours. Like I thought when you reached out to me about doing this, you know, we're in an era where everyone feels like they need a workout guy and someone to tell them what they're doing right and wrong. But I really believe great players probably make the difference in the amount of hours you spend in the gym and no one would even know that you're in the gym. Like it's great to have a coach in there telling you what to do and count your makes and misses and all of that. But if you want to be really, really good, you got to spend a lot of time at mastering your craft. I couldn't, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, it's, uh, it's the time that people don't see. It's the time that, People, unfortunately, right now tend to want to video everything and put it on social media and say, hey, I'm, I'm grinding today. Well, great. Turn the camera off. Go do it where no one sees you. And then when you get the opportunity in the game, you will show that you're prepared as opposed to I think, unfortunately, many times people are putting that out there that they're grinding and then they're really not ready when the opportunity comes and they're going to be exposed. Unfortunately, I think that's going to happen a lot. Uh, in the coming months and years with the, the uh, advent of social media being so prevalent. It, it, like, it's interesting. Uh, I, I love, I, I really like the recruiting aspect of it or the evaluating part of college basketball. And once you get to know kids and they tell you, yes, I want to be a pro, I want to be a great college player, I spend endless time in the gym. But anytime you text them or call them, they're answering their phone and they're saying, yeah, I'm just in a workout. Like to me, if your workout is your most important thing, like I'm, I'm going to be, I'll, I'll be around to text or talk with you later, like get your workout in because if you don't get your workout in the text and the conversations will dissolve pretty quickly. Without a doubt. I, I can't imagine uh, a coach like yourself is, is sending out social media updates, uh, breaking down film right now, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in, in the middle of the grind. <laughs> <laughs> oh no no but uh, it, yeah and, and there's no recipe better than hard work and just just enjoying what you're doing without anyone having to realize what you're actually doing so with all this time and this is the last question john before i let you go because I'm, I'm sure that beach in santa barbara is calling your name <laughs> uh 
but with all this downtime due to the coronavirus and not having student athletes on campus where you can work them out or going to AAU tournaments and evaluating, where do you feel you have gotten the most out of your time and have improved as a coach? Yeah, uh, so e easily uh, just spending time and getting organized with your thoughts and your ideas. Uh, you know, like the season ends, you go into your spring workouts, you go into recruiting mode. So th there's always something you feel like you should be doing where right now it's allowed uh, me to slow down and uh, watch, watch uh, a lot, a lot more film, but you watch it with a really good purpose of uh, what, what do you, what am I trying to get out of it? What do I want to get better at, but then just taking the the stuff that you really want to utilize and feel like can help you so uh you know tidying up your notes like you you know like we play this team and i really like this action and you know you just do a lot of doodling and jotting and notes get stashed away but just tidying that up so you feel like a lot more organized and i'm, I'm not the most organized guy to start with so getting my thoughts and ideas organized so as hopefully i take the next step i'm i'm better prepared for that well, John, I really appreciate your time. It's always good to connect as, as fellow Zags. It's good to connect as uh, fellow basketball aficionados, guys that can't get enough of the game. Uh, for the ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, thank you very much. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate your time. ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.